hey, this is the moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is my buddy, JJ Reddick. And, you know, I was thinking, this is one of the great things about podcasts. I mean, you and I became pals because I did your podcast. Right. And then we started right. hanging out. I know. It was, a, it was, you were like one of my really like early sort of gets for me on the pod. <laughs> Good. I mean that seriously. I'm so glad. No, it was uh, Dude, it was a big deal to have you on, and and as a fan of the show, like obviously, you know, it was uh, it was it was it was a very opportune time to do it. Yeah, and I, you were very prepared, and you take it seriously. And having come to know you, because I I knew you I knew who you were. You know, I'm a huge basketball fan, sure. and I love shooters. But I didn't know you, and then now getting to know you, I know that that kind of preparation is like a huge hallmark of who you are. Like you never want to walk into a situation where you don't have the whole thing sorted. Right. Yeah. There's some element of control that you can sort of have going into a situation. And then, you know, then you have to be prepared to respond to whatever the environment, you know, sort of puts in front of you. But the preparation is, that's huge. I, I, I get horrible. I've done a few pods where I'm like, ah, I, I, I never don't prepare, but sometimes you still prepare and you walk into a pod and you're like, Man, this could go one of two ways. Like this oh, could I know. go really bad because I, you're just not comfortable with either the material or the guest. And and I don't know how many times you do episodes where you don't know the person at all. Yeah. But I've done a few where you're you're basically cold calling, and that can be a little intimidating. Well, especially if their work or something about what they've done matters to you. Sure. Then you just don't like you don't want to choke. You don't want to fuck it up. Um, but I like it better. I, I like doing interviews when I'm nervous now. Like, don't you find, or I wonder about this. I like situations where I'm going to be tested in a different way because it makes me feel alive. So as a ball player, I mean, don't you live for those moments when you might not like when it's hard as opposed to when it's just super easy. I always feel like when I have butterflies, whatever you want to call it, I, I always feel that I'm going to have a, a better game than I normally would. Like if I have butterflies going to a game, there's a 95% chance that I'm going to have a great game that night. Um, and I don't know what the sort of biological response with those butterflies is that creates, you know, sort of a situation where I'm, I'm killing, but it, it happens. And it's like, it's, it happens every time. The other thing too, you brought up like getting out of your, you know, challenging yourself and getting out of your comfort yeah. zone. So for me, like I am naturally, uh, an introvert and I enjoy being alone and, and all that. And I've become more extroverted. And one of those things is like, I really enjoy public speaking, but before I do it, the natural me sort of takes over and you get these sort of sick feelings. And then once you get on stage or, Whatever. Once you start, it 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 just it's exhilarating, and I love it. Yeah, my my daughter is like that. Anna, she's uh she's an incredible public speaker. She was chosen to speak at both the middle school and high school graduations, at her school, and beforehand she has no idea that she can do it. And then the moment it starts, she's in total control of the whole thing. It's amazing that you're. It makes sense though. Yeah. Shooters have to spend a lot of time alone, don't they? Yes. It's honestly, I, I think I talked about this recently, um, but so when I was choosing between like basketball and baseball, and this is like seventh grade, right? I was going to ask you this, I had this question to ask you too. I'm choosing between basketball and baseball. My, my dad basically came to me 
um, at the end of the summer before seventh grade. And he's like, look, you, you, you kind of need to make a choice, you know? And part of it was we had five kids. So we were sort of stretched financially and schedule wise. Um, and the other part of it was he, he, that summer I had missed like half of the state baseball tournament because I was playing in the national basketball tournament. And so he's like, you know, it's not fair to people. Like, you, you got to sort of make a choice. And one of the reasons that I, I – I didn't know this at the time, but one of the reasons that I think I chose basketball was because it was something that I could do alone. I could go out to a court. I could go to the backyard. My mom could drop me up at, at the park for three hours. I could go sneak inside the school at 7 a.m. and do that for an hour before school. So I could do all those things. I could do it alone. And that, to me, was a big reason why I chose basketball. Yeah, I completely relate to it. I used to, I mean, writing, although they're very different, writing and shooting, there are similarities in the kind of time and preparation that you have to put in to be able to do them well. Yeah. And I broke into gyms to, I mean, I, I broke into gyms all the time to go shoot. Because you know the other thing, I, if I could have been anything like it, would have been a great shooter of the basketball. And Who says you're not? Thank you. Yes, you've seen me <laughs> shoot. Um, you know I can shoot okay. But... No, but I, I, I gave a lot of time to it as a kid, not the kind you did. And uh, there is something about being alone still to this day. If I'm alone somewhere shooting, it feels very much like writing to me. Mm-hmm. There's something hypnotic about it and trance-like. Yeah, there's, there's a, th- a therapeutic aspect to me um, about it. The, the, uh, just the, the visualization of seeing the ball go through the net it is like a dopamine hit in my brain. And it just sort of takes me out of whatever I'm doing, like, you know, externally, and I'm just in that moment. And there's very few times in life where you're just in that moment. Think about if you're on the subway, if you're at dinner, if you're watching a show, even, you've got 17 other things going on in your brain. Yeah. When I go shoot a basketball, it is the only thing I'm doing. And, it, and I'm completely in that moment. And that's, I don't know, in, in life for me, that's, that's pretty rare. Yeah, you gave me this incredible gift this summer, and, um, which was you, you allowed me to come and spend an hour rebounding and passing to you. And it was, uh, most things don't live up to it. I, I was thinking about all, all the things that people auction off at their kids' schools. And I was thinking if you ever auctioned that, it would be a great auction item. Like, come and spend an hour shooting with me. Well, I, I do auction that off. Do you? I did three this summer. Yeah, I did one yesterday. You did where, yeah, yeah, yeah. where someone got to come and pass? Well, no. I mean, or I, a lot of times it's with kids. And so, like yesterday, there were three kids. We played a few rounds of knockout. Uh, we played a few games of pig. And, and like when we played horse, which you may want to explain... Um, you know, we, we sort of changed the rules to, to even yeah, the playing field. I, I, no, I just wanted that. If we were going to talk about that, we're only talk about how competitive you are because you wouldn't change the rules, really. And uh, well, Yesterday with the 12, 7, and 5-year-old. Yeah, against me, against me, you really wouldn't, even though I tried hard to get you to. But, um, but I was going to say, I got asked this question by some people today. I asked people what they'd want to ask you. And I have a bunch of questions about how you became who you are that we're going to get to. But... Um, People ask today, uh, you know, how you prepare for last second shots and if you practice them. And I'm so glad that I got this window because what I'm talking about you auctioning off is different, right? I got to spend yeah. an hour with you while you were doing your workout, not your Sunday 372 shots. 342. Not yeah. your Sunday 342. But a real workout. But a real workout where you were preparing for 
to be in game shape, end of game shape, and keeping your shooting form and making shots and taking an accounting of it and the intensity with which you practice. I was so, I, I don't get nervous in these situations. Like, you know, I've played a lot of basketball in my life, but I want to deliver the ball to you in the right spot so badly because, dude, I've never seen someone so focused and so committed. You know, you change when you walk. You must be aware that you change when you walk into the gym. <laughs> I don't know that I'm aware of it, but uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler said this, you know, about me this season. He said, you know, there's not many guys in the NBA who every day they walk into work and they're a smile on their face and they're interacting with the staff and the coaches and the players. And, like, that's how I am, Right. And then you know this because, like, when I walked in the gym, hey Brian, what's up? You know, you know. Well, we met in the parking lot. Yeah, and you're hugging, yeah, yeah, hug. Yeah, hey, hey, carry this. Hey, let's walk in. How's your thing my, going? My rebounder, Look, Joe. My rebounder, yeah. Joey, uh, who is there? You know, I'm I'm dabbing him up. We're we're talking, and, and then I lace up my shoes, and the, it, it is true. The demeanor just changes. You become the Terminator. I go in the lab. I'm in the lab. <laughs> no, it's great because you you turn, and it is the kind of focus that the best performers go into. Which is you don't become a dick at all. You're still a you know courteous and nice person, but the world I could see that all that started to exist for you was I'm going to use this hour incredibly productively, and I'm going to be rigorous with myself and my work. There's a level of seriousness that I have about basketball, and look, it's a game, and it's afforded me an incredible life. But I take it very seriously. Have you ever been? Have you ever seen me warm up before a game? Yeah, I know the whole thing. Okay, yes. so I have. You know, I do. I do this whole thing, and it's it's hard for me to explain this to to a casual fan who may come to an NBA game because because for them, right, part of the great interaction is being able to talk to players and before the game and maybe you know have a have a hug, have a laugh, whatever. And when I step on that court at forty five minutes on the countdown clock, and I've got 10 minutes to get my pregame routine in. Um, I cannot be bothered. I mean, I've yelled at kids before. What happens when your friends, what happens when your friends before. come to the games and they're like, yo, or your friends know not they to know. fucking say they yo. Know. Yeah, yeah. They, they know other than like maybe a, a small dap as I walk by them, they, they know not to mess with me, but yeah, there'll yeah. be kids, you know, and they'll, I feel so bad, but it's like, they're, they're, you know, two, two rows back and <clears throat> at 45 on the clock, there's not many people out there yet, but you know, they're yelling for an autograph or yelling for a picture. And, and sometimes, you know, they might yell like 20 times, JJ, Redick. And there's been a couple occasions where I've turned around and I've not, I've not said shut up, but in so many words, you've I've made it like, clear. Yeah. You're going to have to wait. <laughs> right. And then you'll find a, yeah, like, no, and I always, of- yeah, yeah. And I always go do what I'm, I need to do. But, um, yeah, that that sort of that sort of time, and it's 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 the same thing with my my off season workouts. Like that time is my time. That's my time. Yes. There's very few things in life where you like this is my time. Well, that's that's my time. Don't bother me. Yeah, that's why I felt it was a real gift that you gave me to let me come. I mean, I think you knew that I would approach it the right way. Yes, I knew, I knew that I wasn't gonna fuck yeah. around with it. I was really gonna do it. But can you talk a little bit about how unforgiving you are to yourself? Because I don't care. You may be unforgiving to some kids shouting at you. Yeah. But, brother, you beat the shit out of yourself. Where, where does that come from, do you think? Um, that's a good question. I don't know where it comes from, other than to say that I probably grew up in both a household, and this is not a knock on my parents, both in a household and both in churches where it was driven sort of by guilt. 
And I think that has carried over now into me being an adult. And, and look, I oh, yeah. recognize that in myself. I, I am, I am too hard on myself. And, um, I also recognize that if I wasn't, I wouldn't be who I am. Well, yeah, that's one of those things and people so say in a, a job interview. 22. No, but it's so true. Listen, I am, I am brutal to myself and I get like, Chelsea knows this. My wife, Chelsea, she knows this. Like there are times during the season where I may have one bad game, two bad games. And listen, this thing, it's a precipice. Like I, it could totally spiral out of control. Right. And, 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 it, and it's, it's, it's dangerous. And I'm, I'm aware of it at the time. I'm totally aware of it. And I'm like, I've got to get out of this where I'm just beating myself up um, because I've got another game in 24 hours or whatever it may be. And generally speaking, like I can, I can sort of will my say, will myself out of it. There was a, there was like a three or four week stretch last year. It was like right after all-star break till about mid-March where I had like legitimately three or four of my worst games of my life. And, and I was in that mode where I'm like, I'm, this is never going to turn around. I suck at basketball. I, my career is over. Like, and you're, I'm saying these things and I'm not like just being hard on myself to be hard on myself. I'm like actually You're feeling like, this. I'm feeling that. Well, yeah. it almost seems to me like when you've told me stories about a bad moment or even when you've described a bad workout, it almost seems like you consider it, I'm watching you, a moral failing if your form slips. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you're a yeah. bad person if yeah. your elbow isn't locked. I, but it's, I don't want to go too deep on this because, but maybe we should, but yeah, I, we're on a podcast. You're, you're probably, you're probably spot on because I mean, if I have a bad game, like you think of, well, why did I have a bad game? And your first thing is always like your preparation, right? <laughs> did I prepare rec? Okay. So check. Okay. Um, did I sleep good last night? Check. Okay, good. Then you start getting into like, was I an asshole to anyone recently? Right. And I, I get, oh, Oh my God, I totally forgot. Three weeks ago, I was at practice and I, you know, and you're like, you're like, I did, that's why I'm having yes. a, a tough time right now. And look, that's not the way life works. That's not the way God works. And uh, no, karma doesn't but, even, it's no, not. no, no, it's not like that. But, but the, yeah, it's, there's something where I'm like, there's something I'm doing wrong. If the ball is not going in the basket, there's something I'm doing wrong. Now imagine having to do this 82 times plus the playoffs, plus, you know, dozens of, uh, let's call it a hundred, a hundred workouts in the off season. <clears throat> and you're going through this all the time. Like basketball in a way, as, as much as I love it, it can be, it can be a little exhausting mentally. Right. It can be, cause you're all, you're constantly, you're, you're constantly viewing things from strictly a sort of result based prism. And that lends itself to sort of looking at yourself as, a very black and white, you know, failure success, and that that can be that can be dangerous. And because the emotion lingers till a chance, till you get another chance, right? The emotion, even you might have a moment. You talk to your kids, you're happy, but yeah. but you, it's like one yeah. of those things in the back of your mind, like you know that thing where you have. Yeah. So this is this is interesting. I think which is unique about like what athletes do. Yes. And 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 baseball and basketball, I think we have it the best. So you have a bad game. The turnaround time is so quick yeah. that you can you can remedy it. Whereas, let's say in your profession, and you work on something, or an actor, and you work on something for months, sometimes years, 
and and the project comes out and it's viewed as a failure. Oh yeah. Well, there's a long wait time till that next validation comes, right? There's a long wait time. Oh yeah, man. No, I I'll tell you and I'm so aware of it. You know, I mean the nice thing about doing episodic television is like there is a next episode, but I will say I can walk around when we're editing episodes, I could walk around for two weeks really feeling like a total failure as a human and as a creative person if I can't solve why uh, this spot 12 minutes into the episode isn't working the way that Dave and I thought it was going to work. And when I don't have the answer for it, it can ruin almost every interaction I have because I'll be talking to you and I'm here, but I'm not really here, man. You know, I'm still like living with that thing and it's bad. But yes, you guys have the opportunity to go back and, and, and make it right. And I wonder if that's part of why athletes sometimes have a hard time afterwards because there isn't any sort of binary that shows up in the way that's a referendum on whether they're a good person or not every day. Like every day now you get a chance to redeem yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, <laughs> the other thing you bring up is, is, is the, you know, post career for an athlete. And for me specifically, that's, that's one of the things that is terrifying to me about looking at the next 30 or 40 years of my yeah. life is I, I probably won't be able to ever find something that can replicate that. Um, and so I said this to somebody yesterday, simultaneously, I'm incredibly terrified of my life after basketball. I'm also very, I'm a, by nature, a very hopeful person. I know that doesn't sound like this, but I am. I'm, I'm an optimist. I'm an yeah. eternal optimist. And so I'm also very hopeful and optimistic about whatever it is I, I decide to do or get into after I'm done playing. But um, when I talk to guys that I'm friends with that have stopped playing, um, that's one of the things that they, I think they miss the most is, look, there's that feeling when you fail and it's sickening. But the other side of that, and Shane Battier said this to me once, he said the best feeling in the world is those first few minutes in the locker room after an awesome road win. And even let's say it's in the playoffs too. And, and I think about the, like the best moments in my career. It's always that either that walk back to the locker room after a big win or those first few minutes back in the locker room. And that's sort of what – that's the feeling. I, I don't know how to describe it, but that's the feeling that that really is the drug. That's the drug. That's the thing that you want more than anything else that keeps you going and yeah. keeps you playing. Yeah. Well, this segues into like what I wanted to ask you, which is can you remember a time before basketball? Yeah, I can. What? I can. It was pre eight years old, but right. I can and what were yeah. you into before that? Um, like, what were you like as a kid before basketball took over? I, so my family, we always lived out in the sticks. Um, I did not have a proper neighbor. Now we had neighboring properties. Was this in Tennessee or Virginia? Tennessee and Virginia. I, I did not have a proper neighbor until I was a rookie in the NBA. I bought a house my rookie year in Orlando in a gated community in, in Windermere as the first time I ever had, like, a house next door to me. So describe it more, like, what you... I, so we played... Like, my, my older sisters and I... I did everything my older sisters did, and we just... We played out in the woods. We built forts. We be, built little villages. Um, and 
obviously parents raise their kids differently now, but you know, I was homeschooled till fifth grade. And so when I got my work done at 11, 11 30 in the morning, um, I had the rest of the day and I would just, I would leave the house and I'd come back for dinner and I'd go, you know, I'd go venture out into the woods for five, six hours. Where'd you find friends? Homeschool groups. And that's also, honestly, when I started playing sports, like my closest friends, even to this day, um, are, are like my first teammates, guys that Daniel Payne, Tom Hagen, Ryan Hergerter, Bryce Gannon, Tyler Lumsden. These were all kids that right, I, I had played. dinner with you and Tom. Yeah. yeah you you had dinner with Tom and Tom, was literally one of my first teammates ever. This is when we were eight years old. We're 35 now, and we're right. still best friends. Yeah. Did you know you were a freak of an athlete at eight years old? No. Oh, my God. No. No. No clue. Now, I, I, I was clear. I, was, you know, I, was, I wasn't bigger than everybody, but I, I had some you know, motor skills. You were coordinated. My Could first, you throw and catch like right away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that easy Baseball for you? was easier than basketball. Look, my first basketball team I played on, I was eight years old. We were 0-15. And I was probably the best player on the team, which is not saying a lot right? <laughs> for an 0-15 team. This was like a sixth grade team or no, something? No, this was like rec league, like 10 and under rec league. And I was eight, getting ready to turn nine. Um, Were you able to shoot above your head? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, still to this day, I'm, I'm a strong right-hand driver. So I just would go, I would drive right and shoot. And uh, I basketball didn't click for me, though, till seventh or eighth grade. It was really eighth grade that basketball clicked. And that's... That's kind of when I knew. But so you went from you went from homeschooling, and yeah. you'd have homeschool groups, and then yeah. there was a big religious component then sure. in your yeah, house, sure. right? Yeah. Growing up, so it was that was the world you were in. Yes. And then there were some weird homeschool groups too, and I, I don't want to knock homeschoolers because it's still a thing, and like. There's, I, I think the. Did you go to youth fellowship groups too? You know, with everything, man. You do. A lot of jars of clay concerts. Yeah, yeah. DC talk. Good. <laughs> DC talk for sure. Um, no, I, I, uh, it was, it, it was weird. So I actually, my, my, my sisters homeschooled until ninth grade. I homeschooled till fifth grade, but I had started a year early, so I did fifth grade homeschool, and then I did fifth grade public school. And I was still the youngest. What fifth was that grader. adjustment like to be with all those kids? A lot of like secular oh, kids, and then yeah. also like what? It was it, it was a huge adjustment. I I, I I I can't really like put it into words, but I do remember the very first day I walked into school, and it felt so foreign to me to be in a classroom, and I was never a kid that got into trouble ever. And my first, you know, three months of elementary school, like I got reprimanded like three times, like, like doing what? stupid stuff. I mean, you know, I, talking back to a teacher, which I don't talk back to people even to this day, right? yeah. talking back to a teacher. Um, I think one time I, I, I wrote a note to a girl pretending to be one of, another kid in class. I got in trouble for that. <laughs> Were you fitting um, in with these kids? Were you able to yeah, like connect? I, mean, I wasn't a weird homeschooler. I mean, I, right. a, I was I was fairly normal. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was a huge adjustment. And uh, and and, the, and to go back to your question about sort of like homeschooling yeah. and sports and stuff, like the only reason really that we were put into public schools was because my sisters and I had started playing sports, and my mom felt like we weren't sort of in a competitive environment in homeschool and she wanted us to be in a more competitive environment academically as well as, 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 you know, in, athletically. And my sisters who never played basketball growing up, we, we literally had a horse at one point named Shekinah. Um, my, my sisters rode horses competitively. 
I did a little bit of, of writing, but not, I never did it competitively. And then they started playing softball. I started playing baseball and T-ball and then they started playing basketball when they were 13. And that's why I started playing basketball. They started playing basketball when they were 13. Both of them got D1 scholarships for basketball. I mean, they, they were, they and were so tough. you knew you were following, they're four years older than you yeah. and you were five because they were in ninth grade. Yeah. You said yeah. you were, so you were able, you, you were able to envision, well, I can, I can play on teams like they play on teams. Sure. I, I like my, some of my best memories as a kid were going to their AAU games. And like just being a being a super fan. How old were you when you could beat one of them for the first time? Oh man, you gotta understand, my sisters are six one, man. Right, <laughs> and they were six one when they started playing. And you so were like, I'm like eight, sixth or I'm seventh like, grade. No, I'm like eight, right? And they're thirteen. Yeah, they're thirteen, and they're like six feet tall. Those backyard games were brutal. I probably couldn't beat them till I was like twelve or thirteen, um, and had maybe maybe even thirteen when I'd hit my growth spurt. Because up until then, they were still they still had about seven or eight inches on me. Do you think they be, like playing against them was one of the things that made you competitive, like a competitive person, or were you always competitive? No, I, I think what made me competitive was my family. We we are just competitive, and I'm the middle of five kids. My mother, God bless her, wonderful woman, incredible mom. She's a psycho, right? Competitive psycho. She cheats in Scrabble. No. Yes, like she just wants to win everything, and so. I think my sisters and I, we just started being competitive with each other. And then my brother came along and my little sister. And look, five kids, my parents didn't pay for college. Everyone got a Division One scholarship for athletics. Your younger brothers? My younger brother got a full ride to Marshall for football. And then my little sister played at Virginia Tech. And then she finished her career at Drexel. Did she play at Drexel too? Yeah, she was a baller at Drexel. Yeah. Right. She had that's, a triple-double in a game. First triple-double in women's really? in school history. Yeah, That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Right. So you, but, but then, so do you, do you credit, um, competitiveness and drive more than you do athletic freakishness? Um, in terms of my own personal yeah. success, I'll tell you what I credit is mental toughness. Um, cause I think you can be competitive and not be mentally tough for sure. Um, and, and my sort of definition of mental toughness is of course being able to bounce back from failure, but also to not take success as seriously as you should. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, let me try to explain it. So by that, I mean, if I, I look back at my high school graduating class in the McDonald's All-American game, um, I think uh, from the McDonald's game, I think I'm the only one still playing. Right. And I think... From my class class, I think it might be me and Andre Iguodala. There might be one other guy. From your college class? From my high school class, from 2002 high school. high school class that are still playing in the NBA. And if you look back, and I had said to myself at um, at 17 when I made the McDonald's game, I made the McDonald's game. I've made it, you know? I go to the McDonald's game. I win MVP. Yes. I've made it. I've signed with Duke. I've made it. I'm a freshman at Duke. You know, I'm second to, second on the team in scoring. I'm all ACC freshman. I've made it. 
you know, you just go down the list at all sort of the successes I've yeah, had in my career. Won the Naismith Award. I mean, the I've, whole thing. I've never felt like I've made it. I've never taken that success seriously. Oh, you you said you said to yourself, no, I've made no, it. No, no, I. But what if I had? What if I had? You're saying what I, you said to yourself was, no, there's something else. Let's go. Yeah, let's keep some, going. There's always something I'm at the line. else on the horizon to to sort of go for. Um, so that's I think that's somewhat competitiveness, but I also think that's mental toughness in the sense that you're never sort of. You're never sort of comfortable. There's you never just, feel like you've made it. You've done it. You never feel. You, you're saying you've disciplined yourself to have an appropriate level of fear, to keep to not settle. Yeah. To not. And say, some of that I'm, maybe I'm going done. back to what we were talking about earlier. Some of that is maybe is just being hard on yourself. Um, my my dad, you know, I think he always did a wonderful. And it, look, there's no blueprint for parenting, but I think he. My, by high school, my, my parents knew that, that there was I was pretty gifted, you know, at, at basketball, and so they knew that, you know, I, I was I was going to have some opportunities, and they did an amazing job of just keeping me in my place, you know, and, and not allowing me my head to get too big. Which developmentally, look, if you're 14 or 15 years old, and and you're sort of, I, I mean, yeah. at the time it was a, sort of a national name in high school, you know, my my parents didn't allow me to get a big head about it. Well, you've been a national name since then. I mean, you've been a famous person, would, certainly since... Fa- you've been a famous, famous person relative. since would, you're a senior yeah. year of high school, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know about, like, I don't famous, but a, a known name in basketball, let's say that. Um, Wait, you don't think you're famous now? I mean, well, there's varying degrees of this. You, you can't walk down <laughs> a street without somebody saying, hey, JJ. Hey, JJ, I love your podcast. Yeah, right. no. no. I mean, you know, yeah, but that's interesting. So no, yeah, no. it's not one of the ways that you really define yourself because you're a basketball player. Yeah. You don't really define yourself as a famous person. No, I don't, no, 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 no. I, I don't at all. I don't, at all. I'm uncomfortable with it, to be honest with you. Um, Why? Not, not to say I don't enjoy some access. Like, of course. I get to, I get to meet people like you. Yeah, no, this, I, no the, ac- the, the access is the greatest thing about yeah. doing what, so, what we do is it, you know, either of the things is that yeah. for sure. Um, my dad used to, I would go back to what I was saying. My dad used to say this to me, and he started saying it fairly early, even before it became apparent that I was, I was pretty good at basketball. He would always say to me, um, it's, not, it's not always about you. It's not always about you. That's great. And it's the best advice I ever got. It's the best advice I ever got. Also, I, seeing you and your friend Hagen that night, who we just have to point out, he got to meet Robert Duvall and he was too scared. If, if Tom, if you're listening to this, the fact that your name is Tom Hagen and you met Duvall and you were scared to tell him is still. I thought I've thought about it ever since dinner. Yeah. Like all your whole life, you must have been building. Don't you think his whole life he figured he'd meet him someday and he would tell yeah. him? I yeah. And if then you, he gets if there. If you ever had the opportunity, right? And he You're gets the, one there. of the most iconic characters in in one of the most well, probably the greatest film of all time. I hope you give him shit about this, man. Like I hope you don't just let well, him. I didn't live know it. this until, oh, until he, he said until it that he said night. It at dinner, yeah, I didn't that's know that. amazing to me. But but I loved you guys still keeping each other honest because he's a successful person. He's a huge sports agent yeah. now and all that stuff. But you guys were still arguing about who was the better baseball player at twelve. <laughs> yeah. And I loved how he was giving you shit about, like, you not being able to hit him or, or whatever. I wasn't as good of a hitter as him, but I was a dominant pitcher. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> Could you get him out or no? So, my – I in Little League, I in three years of pitching, I lost one game. And this is including, like, all-star, state tournament, whatever. I lost one game as a Little Leaguer. Um, there's six innings in a Little League game, which means there's 18 total outs, Okay. 
It was against his team. In that game, I struck out 17 batters of the 18 outs. The other out was a grounder back to me that I ran over to first base. So I, I accumulated all 18 outs, but we <laughs> lost. My shortstop had nine errors. <laughs> I think we lost like eight to four. And I, I threw like a three-hitter. Tom, Tom, I could get out, but he was – look, he played baseball at UVA. He yeah. was all ACC at UVA. He got drafted by the Pirates. Like he was a really good baseball player. I just like how alive this stuff still is for you, how much it matters. I mean, yeah. this is the thing. You take this shit very seriously. <laughs> There's very yeah I mean look there's very few things in my life I don't take seriously like I you know even uh, stuff that I get into and you know for a while there it was like watches and I I, right. I get I get obsessed you know and I I look my my buddy that works for the Spurs who we worked together in Orlando for six years like we were talking about this after he lived in Philly this year while he was working for the Spurs but we were at, we were out to dinner after a game and we were talking about. <sighs> different things that I'm into. And he's like, this is sort of your MO. Like you find something you like and you go all in and you deep dive. And then when you learn everything there is to learn about it, I move on to the next thing. I relate to this very hard, but okay, here's a real question. You take your response. And I, I, I listened to the mailbag episode of your pod, the, the most recent one from July. And you were talking about one of the ways in which you mentor is by leading by example. Like you show up early. I mean, not for, not for today's podcast, but you show up early, you are, that's two hours late go because you want people to know what matters to you. But, um, but you were talking about all the ways in which you lead by example, which makes complete sense to me, and I know that you do, and I know that your teammates say you're a great teammate and they love to play with you. But uh, uh, Dan Pfeiffer, one of the you know, hosts of Pod Save America, great guy, a very serious basketball player. He was a yeah. serious basketball player. But he said to me today, he goes, ask JJ uh, – and he said it as a joke, like, ask JJ if he's ever seen Ben Simmons practice shooting. But the real question I want to ask you is, how do you not, how do you train yourself to help somebody like that either do the work or when it's not getting better, how are you not all over them when they're your teammate? How are you not like, come on, Ben, let's get in the gym yeah. together. Let me help you shoot. Yeah. Come on, dude, you could be one of the greatest players in the league if you would just take two hours a day. And, and... I'll say one thing. I, I was asking you one night, I asked you about why some, some guys can't shoot foul shots when it seems like such a basic thing. And I actually thought your sensitivity and sympathy was amazing. You said, well, you're not thinking about their hand size and you're not thinking about the fact that they're tall so the arc is different. And you're like, you trained, your, it seemed to me, trained yourself to have some understanding of it. I mean, you half mean that, I guess. No, I, 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 it's the truth. I, look, I saw DeAndre Jordan work for hours at a time on free throws. Um, and you can work at something and, you know, the results aren't always indicative of the level of work that you put in. That's just life. Um, and certain people have gifts and certain people have other gifts. Uh, ben, to answer Dan's question, yes, Ben shoots and he shoots all the time. Did you see the viral video of him shooting like step back threes yeah. at the pickup game in yeah. L.A.? Okay, so I, I, you know, yeah, but I, when you're on his team, the question is, you're on his team, you're, I'm, you know, the second or third yeah. best shooter in the NBA. So, so how when you do talk you about, manage that? When you talk about leadership and mentoring, I'm empathetic to each guy's situation, and so I, I'll use. I, I'm not going to talk about Ben necessarily right away, but I'll use Markel as an example. So sure. Markel's having this this issue 
with shooting a basketball. This Chuck Knobloch kind of a thing. Yeah, okay. So whether he had the yips or whether it was a physical ailment, like however you want to define it, he's, he's got an issue with shooting. I knew at the time, within two weeks of being around that situation, that there were five or six people from the Philly organization that were either working with him or trying to work with him or trying to connect with him with certain people. I knew there were people in his family that were trying to connect him with certain people that were in his ear. And I knew that his agent was doing things to try to connect him and try to work with him on this issue. Plus, he was basically full-time seeing this uh, PT guy in Kentucky. And all I can do, all I can do, is go to Markel, and which I did, and say, hey, Markel, I know you got a dozen people in your ear right now. I just want you to know I am available. If you want to get in the gym with me, great. If you want to go have coffee with me on the road and talk, great. Whatever it is you need, I'm here. That's all I can do. And then do. step back. Yeah. That's perfect. all I can do. That's perfect. Because if I do anything else, if I do anything else in that situation, I'm going to create more volatility and potentially – a guy that I really care about is going to end up resenting me. Why the fuck would I want that? Why the why would I want that? So I think that's and 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 Solomon David Solomon, we were talking about this. I did Goldman Sachs that's talks the head and of we were talking yeah, yeah. we were talking about Desol uh, yeah DJ Desol and we were talking about um, just emotional intelligence right and. David says to me that I I don't know there's varying degrees of the definition of this this sort of term but I think part of emotional intelligence is is sort of surveying the landscape and it goes back to what my dad said it's not always about me so it's not about me sort of like saving Markel's shot there's no savior sim- syndrome here there's not about me you know That's saving right. Ben's shot it's about me giving them sort of an outlet hey this well, is if what you're I, outer direct, this instead is, of making it like yeah. JJ can save the day. No, no. But if you're like, here's this guy. Yeah. What can we do to help? Right. Maybe that's what you said. Just saying I'm here. Yeah. But how about inside you when you see someone like Ben? Like, let's just talk about Ben for one second. Mm-hmm. You can use it as an example. Like, uh, Well, Ben is another guy that I think he, he, he works at a shot. Like, right. So he was DJ. working at it. I saw and, him shoot 100 threes after every practice. I saw him shoot. And would you get in there and talk form with him or wait until he asked you? Both. We talked about both. And again, it goes back to what I was saying about like DeAndre's hands. Like there's, you know, mechanical, I think there's a mechanical issue with either the elbow or the shoulder that causes the ball placement to be a little different and it comes out of side spin. And like that's, I, I'm not a PT guy. <laughs> That's a corrective issue with PT, right? So, th- yeah, and I guess some people like Jamal Wilkes shot like that, like the ball didn't, like Jamal Wilkes, I think the ball. Yeah, there, r- there's a guy that came out in my draft class, Ronnie Brewer, who had a horrible fracture when he was growing up. And so he had this really funky shot. And like, there's not, I couldn't say to him, hey, shoot like me. Or that great shooter on Phoenix. Yeah. W- what's his name? One of, a legendary basketball player. I'm just forgetting his name. 6'11. Oh, Sean Marion. Yeah, Sean yeah, Marion. Yeah, yeah. Like, Sean Marion had that little yeah. flicky shot, but I guess practiced it so much that yeah. it didn't I matter. I think, to, to me, the, the, there's three things that, like, make a great shooter, and it's, it's mechanics or form, whatever you want to call it, uh, repetition, practice, and then the third thing is just the mental side, right? The confidence to take that shot. And of those three, I really believe mechanics and form are the least important. The least important. Right. 
I've seen guys with unreal form who can't make a shot. And you're like, why can't he make a shot? Well, maybe he's not in the gym or maybe he's a complete basket case. I don't know. Yeah, no, the basket case yeah, thing is a yeah. huge part of it. Yeah. We've all had that experience of being able to make 30 yeah. three-pointers in a row and then in alone in a gym. See, my issue more is like I – going back to our conversation about shooting earlier, and it's like for me, that's why I'm hard on myself because I know I'm getting the reps – I think I can make every shot I take. Yes. So it comes down to, is my form breaking down? Like I'll, like the other day, you know, I had like a 10-minute stretch of a workout where I couldn't get my form back. And I'm like, I'm getting these reps up, and this is not how I shoot the basketball. I got so mad. I, I kicked a ball, yeah. and it shattered a, a light in the ceiling. And it went all over the – I cleaned it up or whatever. But like that's – that's where I get mad. It's like the breakdown in form. Like, why, why, why are you doing this? But going back, you, some, some guys just can't have good form. Well, well, so then it's repetition and, and the mental side. When, you, when I told people that I, I spent the hour with you shooting, watching you shoot and passing to you, the, the first thing people said was like, was it incredible seeing how many shots he made? And of course, it is incredible seeing how many shots he make. But that was about fourth on the list for me. It was all about the mental – the thing I talked about afterwards was your mental state, the level of focus, the commitment, how hard you made it on yourself. And I think it's important to talk about – actually, I think people can use this in whatever area of life because I said it very quickly. But you are trying to replicate end-of-game fatigue mm -hmm. and you're shooting foul shots in that situation and you're putting – like you're, you're actually trying to put yourself in the hardest possible moment to keep your form – and stay mentally yeah. tough, right? The best way I can describe this was actually um, I had uh, Aaron Rodgers on my podcast. Um, this was about three and a half years ago. He was one of my first guests when I was doing it with Yahoo. And he described it as mastering mechanics in imperfect environments. And I'd never really heard it said like that before, but it makes perfect sense, right? So as a shooter, if I go to the gym – and I stand in the corner and then stand on the wing and then stand in the slot and then stand. And that's all I do is shoot from those seven spots going around the three-point arc. And I just repetition, shoot, shoot, shoot. That doesn't actually replicate a game. Right. The game is an imperfect environment. So you have to be able to, to not have a breakdown in your form while you're shooting off one leg or while you're shooting falling out of bounds and – I, I know I got you with my um, my uh, patented trick duck, shot, the patented the duck, duck shot, shot, the duck shot in our horse game. I, at the, for my 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 finishing move in horse is this is this ridiculous shot from basically behind the backboard where I put my feet like a duck on the corners of the hole, like yeah. as far back as you can be and still be basically inbound. Yeah, with one one foot on uh, one out of bounds and one foot on the other out of yeah. bounds. Yeah, and and you know so. I, I honestly I felt honored that you thought you had to go to that place to beat a 53-year-old 240-pounder, <laughs> well, man. I did give you a little bit of a head start. So. Very small head start. I want to get this question up that someone asked me. That hardly gave me a head start. I wanted a head start, and you were pretty much um, refusing me. Sammy had a question for you, and this actually a couple people asked this question, which, and I think it's a really deep question about who you are. And so this, this was the question, which is, well, Sam seems to remember there was a game against North Carolina where there was like a JJ cam, like on it. There was just like a camera basically on you on some 
channel for like the whole game. That might have been my senior night. Yeah. Which didn't go well. But yeah. But but um what he was asking was you were the most famous basketball player in college basketball. You averaged an insane number of points and shots uh, every night. You were hated and beloved, depending on how people felt about Duke. And then you came into the league, and I was just looking at your stats. And, you know, you did not have a great first four years. I'm sure emotionally that was hard for you. How did you turn yourself – how did you make this adjustment that I think for most of us would be almost impossible? Because now you have this incredibly long career. You know, you just got a two-year, $26 million deal. You're still an incredibly valuable piece for a basketball team to have. They're putting you with Zion. None of that's a coincidence, and I want to talk about what you think people recognize in you, that that's what they want, right? They, they chose to put you with what they think is the most valuable asset the league has had since LeBron. That's a huge – honor for you and responsibility. But you had to make this huge transition, dude, from being J.J. Redick, superstar, to being a guy who's going to come add value and not be the center. How did, and, and who had a few years where, where you weren't being recognized for even what your gifts were. How did you deal with all that mentally? I would say f- the first thing is I, I didn't expect to come into the NBA and be a superstar. I recognized that I had certain physical limitations. Um, I, I expected to play a little bit more and, um, you know, contribute a little bit more in my first couple years. Yeah, I mean, you played like 35 games and average six you points. You know, we can go through the stats. I actually played less. No, I was thinking my rookie year, I played 41 or 42 games, 14 minutes a game. Right. And that was only because we had a bunch of injuries in February. And then uh, my second year, I played even less. I played in 34 games and averaged eight minutes a game, right. which basically means I got in in blowouts right. <laughs> in the fourth quarter. Um, so I expected to do a little bit more early on in my career. But the reality is the transition was really hard. Emotionally, it, it, was, it was very taxing. It was, you know, there were times my my second year specifically early on where I was like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. I don't know if I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play in the NBA. And there were, I remember Oof. talking to my agent one time about like potentially going to Russia. There was a- That's a, amazing. Really? You really thought yeah. it, maybe it's not going to work. And, and there's also, look, I was 22, I turned 22 at the beginning of my rookie year, 23 at the beginning of my second year. And so there was also, you're young and you're, 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 well, I'm going to blame it on Stan Van Gundy. Yes. He's a dick. And who I, I love Stan. He's not a dick. Well, he's a dick. <laughs> but I, I, Stan's my guy. But, you know, you, you're like, I'm going to blame it on Stan. Like, I'm getting screwed here. And there's certainly people in your inner circle who, you know, have your back. And they're telling you, yeah, you're getting screwed or whatever. Um, but I did not believe that. Because I remember sometime around All-Star break, early March, my second year, I thought to myself, you know what? We're I'm on an Eastern Conference contending team. We're going to win 50-some games. Things are clicking along fine without me on the court. Maybe it's me. You really got there? You really had that thought? Maybe it's me. And so I went to our strength coach, Joe Rogowski at the time, and I said, dude, we got to get in the weight room. And um, the rest of the season, I actually started really – lifting and, and working on my body and, and actually started really listening to 
all the sort of experts, you know, that we had in the, in the, in the magic on, on, on training or whatever. Then that summer, I basically locked myself in an apartment in North Carolina and trained for two months at Duke. I was a maniac for those two months. And then I came back at the beginning of my third year in insane shape. I won a spot in the rotation. I played more. The very ironic thing is I really couldn't make a shot that year. <laughs> I think I shot like 37% from three and 39% from two. Um, but the one knock was like the defense, and the defense you know, got better. And then that playoff run where we made the finals, I got to start eight straight playoffs game, playoff games. And one of those, the first one was a closeout game in the first round in Philly. I hit five threes. And then I got to guard Ray Allen for seven straight games in a hard-fought seven-game series against the Celtics. We won game seven on the road in Boston. And um, and that was sort of the turning point in my career. Um, I mean, even in like my fourth year, I know my stats aren't great, but like analytically, that was maybe my best year of my career in terms of win shares and win shares for 40 and all that yeah. stuff. And, uh, and, and, you know, I got a, I played really well in the conference finals that year again against Boston. And I got a great contract that Orlando ended up matching from from Chicago, but you know that that transition sort of end of second year going into that third year, the realization for me was that maybe I'm the problem. You thought I can control my destiny a yeah. little bit, or and, I got to take this yeah. shot. And then and then two was like, if I don't do something different, I I might be out of the league. And it really mattered to you to not be out of the league. It did, but it. More so than it mattered, it really mattered to me that I I gave my I put myself in a position to be in the league, versus like I understand the, the you result was hang, hanging on wasn't the I thing. didn't, didn't want to I didn't want to be I, I didn't want to look back you know five years later and I'm I'm playing in in Spain and thinking like man I really wish I just like focused a little I really wish I'd been a little more disciplined I really wish I had listened better I What's really the- wish I, so I just dove in like. Stan, what is Stan, what are Stan's defensive concepts? I've got to master these. I want to master them. You know, like I, I, I've always sort of played. Like, well, I was about 190 my second year, but I, I played about 198. And I've always, since my third year, I've always played between 195 and 198. Like that's just my weight. And like you know, certain years you maybe lift a little bit more and you look a little different. But I'm always that that weight, and that's that that's like the discipline. I knew I had to get stronger. Um, and, and how did you, what's the method by which you kind of checked in with yourself like that? Like being alone shooting, you were thinking like, do you talk to somebody like, or suddenly that idea just came to you like, man, it's, it's me. Like, have you always had the ability to check in with yourself and make plans like that? Yeah. I'm a little OCD when it comes to making plans and, and sort of mapping stuff out and, and flipping the switch. Um, my, my second year at Duke, this was really the first time I had to do this. You know, if if you're really good at something, what was the quote that I read the other day? Like, you know, you're in the right place when you're failing. Sure. Right. Because if you're not failing at something, then you're probably not facing the right. right It's not hard enough. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so my second year at Duke, um, I had a really tough sophomore year. You know, I, I, at one point I, I invited my sisters over to campus. They lived in Ra- they live in Raleigh still, but they, they live in Raleigh and we had dinner and I said, I, I don't really want to do this anymore. Like, this is not for me. I, you know, it's, it's too mentally tough. And, 
uh, it's too much of a commitment and I just, I don't want to do it. And they refused to let me quit. And this was like December of my sophomore year. And then I was a complete maniac my second semester of my sophomore year. Um, just, into, I lived like I was a frat kid and, uh, we lose to UConn in the final four. Um, there were two chances at the end of the game for me to either take the lead or tie the game. One, I got, I got stripped, and then the game time three, I came up short. And I went to a really, really bad place. And, and uh, about a month went by, and I was kind of – truthfully, I was kind of living like a vagabond. I had no money in my account. I wasn't enrolled in summer, in summer school. I had an incomplete that I still hadn't completed yet from second semester. And I was hanging out at a buddy's apartment in Durham, and, and the Duke coaches found me. And uh, they, they dragged me to Coach K's office, and essentially they gave me an ultimatum, but they were a little more sort of forgiving and empathetic than, than I, I, I sort of give them credit for. But they, they basically said, look, we're, we're just going to kind of go in a different direction unless, you know, you, you really commit and you really focus. And um, So Coach K told you that. That's Coach How did K told me. That. Well, Coach Collins actually said the, the thing that stuck with me was something that Chris Collins, who's now the head coach at Northwestern, he said to me, "You know, you're gonna, you're gonna, if you're gonna play two more years, you'll probably score two thousand points in your Duke career, and you might make an All ACC team. But the really shitty thing is, like, we'll never know how good you can be." And that's really what I was like, "Fuck," you know that that cut to the that core. Hit it hit me, and so that summer they I, we petitioned you know the dean of uh, of um, of admissions to basically let me in summer school like 10 days late i'd missed the cutoff by a long shot um i uh had every hour of the day from 8 a.m to 9 p.m mapped out on a, on a little sheet and i stuck to that all summer and um i was i had to carry a, a water jug around with me i had to check in every morning at, at 8 a.m with coach collins to make sure like I hadn't been out. Yeah, you were on it. <laughs> yeah, I was on it. And um, and I stuck with that. And and so that to me was – it. that has always become a reference point for me. Oh, for sure. I've never gone to that place before, but it's always been a reference point for me. You mean me. you've never gone there again? You've never gone yeah, yeah. yourself? No, yeah, I've never gone to that place again, I should say, where, where you I've were gotten that, that low. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, but that's always a reference point to me because I know that – if if there's if there's something going on that I can sort of I can flip the switch a little bit in that I I, I have that that discipline and and the discipline has now become a part of who I am it's it's much more of a lifestyle now it's sure. just it's now, who you are now it's just who you've I am you've grooved it because you've yeah, grooved I've, it totally but that going back to that second year. It was that I use that Duke thing as a reference point where that the second year in the NBA where I'm like, yeah. it's me. It's there's something I'm doing wrong. I, I I need to change, and so let's start with let's change my body. Let's get stronger. Right. Were you sad that sophomore year? Like that between sophomore year and did you find yourself sad? Because basketball had always been this thing that was like salvation to you. Yeah. The 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 part that I think I struggled to wrap my head around was from the time I was eight years old, I wanted to play at Duke. Right. And, you know, I'm now a senior in high school. I, I sign with Duke. I get a McDonald's All-American thing. We win the state championship. A McDonald's All-American MVP. And then freshman year, Duke started. And it's way harder than I could have ever imagined. Both, like, school, 
the the expectation of playing at Duke, and then of course the sort of the off the off the court stuff and the the fans hating on you, and you're 18, you're like I, you take it personally like, that hatred, yeah, then? and then, so you're like what you know you're like I I'm here, uh, uh. and this is it. And you're like, Ugh. you're kind of like, fuck this, you know? You're like, ah, this is not, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And at the time, like, there was no like, well, the, I, I, you, everybody wants to play in the NBA, but it wasn't like, uh, I'm just going to suck it up and I'm going to, I'm going to put my, I, I thought I was going to be there four years, and so I get to my sophomore year and I was like, man, I got to do fucking three more years of this, right? Of this kind of misery. It, it, well, it's not, it wasn't miserable because it was awesome right. to play at Duke, but it was the, specifically like just the hatred that was coming my way. The expectation, like balancing, like you know, wanting to have a, a somewhat normal college experience to 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 being a Duke basketball player, was really hard for me to balance. So this gets to the heart of something I'm I'm in my life just fascinated by, and has been something I've chased down forever, which is those moments where you decided to commit, you're actually taking a gigantic risk. And a lot of us get scared to take that risk. <laughs> you're so right. <laughs> you're so right. Because if you do, cause when you do it, yeah, man. and you don't, let's say it doesn't work out. Yeah, it's terrifying. Then it's, it's, you're admitting, you're, you're, I'm not good enough. Right. And that's why but so if, many if, of us don't. But if you have that built-in excuse, if you have that built-in excuse, you can always fall back on that. But if you go for it and it doesn't work out, Right. Oh. Yes, miserable. So like you had, that's part of what that walking around that summer is. It's like, do I have the guts to try to, because you were like, I know it. Because the, what that decision was, was I want to be an NBA, was saying to yourself, I want to be a, a real NBA player. Right. And maybe you wouldn't be able to. Right. Did you, and you, you somehow got that out of your head that maybe I wouldn't be able to. Um, yeah. I also think for me, it became less about the end. Yeah, once you're and, doing it, and, right? And more about, all right, I'm going to take some really small steps. Like I'm going into my third year in the NBA and I haven't been a regular rotation player. Like let's get to that. And then it was like fourth year. It was like, all right, it's a contract year. Let me see if I can like – my fourth year in the NBA was the first time where – the game would start, and I knew I was going to play that night. Like, think about that. Yeah, no, I can't. I'm, I, that's that's what we, Sam we is about, asking, we and I was asking. But, butterflies earlier. Yes. I mean, there were times I'd have to go back to the to the locker room in the first quarter. Like, I knew I'd get in either at the under three minute yeah. timeout or at the end of the first quarter. And so I'd be sitting there and be seven minutes on the clock, and be like, "Oh, I, oh I got to go." Happening. I, 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 <laughs> and I just the nerves were. It was crazy. Can was you still crazy. get fired up like that, or does it have to be a tough playoff moment? Um. It, it happens less and less. Um, oh, I just realized you're like Kareem and Zion's like magic now. Maybe he's going to be able to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying you're. Yeah. I'm not. No, it happens. I'm not blowing smoke like you're Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But I'm saying the relationship. Like if Zion delivers, he can really like light this up for you. Yeah. And obviously, you can be there for him. The other time, the other time period where it was really sickening to me to play, um, like like physically, sort of. Yeah. You know, ill was. Um, my first year in LA because it was the first time I was uh, the starter. Right. And that's another thing where you're like, I I've wanted this for seven years. I'm now in my eighth year. They're, they're saying I'm the starter, but like, am I good enough? And like, what if, what if I'm not? Were you really worried about that? Oh, I, the jump, the jump ball for our first game. I remember going out for warm-ups to be like, this is new. I've never, 
I'm sick. And I'd started games before. Of course, but, but you like weren't starting the guy. day one. You're the yeah. It was. Oh, it made so me. you talked to me about Chris Paul a couple yeah. times in life. What is it that makes somebody an exceptional point guard? I've always wanted to know this because, like, the difference even for a like two guard like me who sucks at basketball yeah. but likes to play. But yeah. if I'm with a good point guard, the whole thing somehow is different. Yeah. You, and I think that we all need that in our lives in every area. Yeah. What do you look for in a great point guard? Why is Chris so good at it? Um, people talk about vision, right? There's two things that that to me like equal vision. There's the physical, which is a guy's open, you pass him the ball. And obviously Chris is great at that. He's one of the all-time great assist guys ever. But the other side of that is the wherewithal to have the vision to sort of see guy's body language and understand, oh, you know what? Like Blake hasn't had a touch in four times down wow. the floor. Or JJ's 0 for 3. It's now the third quarter. We got to get this guy going. You know, that's you the vision. That. That's the vision of sort of seeing everything that's going on. Um, he was the master at that. The master. And by the way, he also had to sort of worry about himself, right? And he had to get off himself. Oh, of course. And and he, he balanced that perfectly. I mean, there were like if you look at the playoffs, right? There were series where he would score twenty eight a game and still make all of you feel fine. Yeah, and would still make us feel fine. But then in the regular season, like it wasn't about him scoring twenty five or twenty eight a game. He was like, "Well, I know long term for us to win, we need we need everybody sort of to be happy and to, so to, to what play are fans? Well. What are we? This is the other. What are we basketball fans junkies? What is it that you guys know that we get wrong all the time? Like, do you know what I mean? What do we not understand, really? Other than um, everything? But, like, you know, what yeah. is it really that we don't understand yeah. about what this really is? Um, the thing that drives me crazy the most is the, the complete lack of understanding of the dynamics of a team. And you can't just plug and play. That's not how it works. You can't just put three or four guys together or put four or five guys together. Or subs oh, this guy averaged 15 and this guy averaged 10. Let's get rid of the guy that averaged 10 and bring in the guy who averaged 15 and we'll be better. It's not how basketball works. But, and I do think this, and I mean this sincerely, um, the 2K culture has made this problem worse. Because everybody has their my franchise or whatever it is. I, I don't yeah, play video sure. games, but everybody has this, and they build their super teams. Well, it's like on, the trade machine, like Bill's trade machine yeah. thing. And um, it's just it's just not the way it works. I, I get in this argument. My friend Ben Winston, who who is a television pr producer, we get in this argument all the time about which sport, football, soccer, yeah. uh, or basketball is 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 more volatile when it comes to team chemistry. He argues, of course, football because he's from the UK and he's a Arsenal super fan, but you know, I think for me, it's, it's basketball. You know, there's nothing, there's no sport where, where chemistry is, is more vital to the, to the end result. If you think about football, right, you've got each guy pretty much has one specific task. If you fuck that task up, you're out, right? You're out. 
That is that has nothing to do with chemistry. That's just doing a specific task. Now, obviously, there's chemistry issues in football, and there's good and yes. bad teams. But if you don't mark the guy, you're... baseball is an individual sport masquerading as a team sport. As the Untouchables, <laughs> as the Untouchables <laughs> demonstrates very well. Yeah, and and then you have scene. basketball, where yeah. it's it's um, you know, there's there's each player's sort of role and performance is dissected. More than any other sport to me, more than any other sport. Yeah, I mean, think football. And it's a, it is. And it's football a, in, in in Europe is probably yeah, dissected yeah, 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 yeah. the same way. Yeah, yeah. But here, in the U- well, in there's the just five of you on the court, or seven in the rotation, or eight in the rotation. Yeah. And so, and basketball's so part of our culture. Yeah, and so there's so we don't understand what it really means to be a part of a team. No, because no, <laughs> not really, because. Most people's experience with playing on a team is through middle school or through high school and through college, if you're really lucky. But the the NBA is totally different. You know, we're all – the other thing about this is, look, we're all fighting for a finite pool of resources. Yes. We're all going after one single pot of resources. And there's extensions – beyond that pot. So when I say the pot, I mean basketball-related income in our CBA. Here's the salary cap. Here's what we can pay you from the team. And those extensions that come off of that are endorsements, appearances, and we're all sort of fighting for this and in a finite amount of time. And you've got to be... There's a there's an inherent level of selfishness. I know that sounds fucked up that I think people who played in high school just can't understand. And the selfishness that you have to manage, you're saying. Yeah, because you still have to. T- well, it's like I said about what my dad said. It's not always about you. And so, right. yeah, it's you're right. It's not. I still have to. I still have to exist within this team dynamic. And you have to try to convince people on the team we'll all benefit more from all this stuff if we find a way to pool, to pool our talents the right, right. way. Right. The, to me, though, it's your 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 value from being part of a winning culture and being on a winning team is exponentially greater. Yes. You know, if there's the superstars that play on bad teams, those guys are awesome and they'll get paid no matter what. But if you play really well on a bad team, like what does that mean? Right. What does that mean? But if you play well on a good team, you get rewarded. You get rewarded. Right. But so when, when you, when guys in the, when you, when guys in the league look at the Harden, Chris Paul thing, you're just seeing a different dynamic than we are. Sure. Why Houston? That's why I think Houston didn't work. Is well, totally why do you, different. Why do, you, why do you think Houston didn't work? Well, I'm, I. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You mid. You and I talked. Because I think m- I think it did work. Right. You think those guys could have stayed together and won the championship next year? No, I don't necessarily think that. Because the this is the this is the other problem with this is the other thing I think with just. NBA fan, yeah, the culture. Good. That's what I'm asking. It's just the rings culture. Yes, it is. There's 30 teams. I mean, there's you made the playoffs one, every year, but one, you need there's yeah. one winner. And right. like you know, Houston was the greatest opponent that the Warriors had. Yeah, for sure. For the last two years, when 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 Chris was there, they were the the, the hardest opponent in the Western Conference. So it worked. The Warriors were an all-time super team. So the fact that they were the greatest opponent, it worked. I watched you can't more, say it didn't work. I watched if they more. had lost in the first round both years and you had seen James and CP sulking and there was all these – like that to me wouldn't have worked. 
I watch more Houston games. So I watch as many of your games as I can. Because okay. I, you know, and I'll text yeah. you, like, whatever. But I watch more Houston games than any other team. Is that this because year. James is your favorite player? I just had to see them play. I just wanted to see okay. what James. I, yes, I wanted to see okay. what they were going to do. So I watched before Chris came back, when Chris came. I watched the whole thing. And no, I and I like Daryl Morey a lot. Yeah. And I, as a guy, and I thought, no, I thought they were going to go deep. I thought they might have a chance to win it. I did too. And I thought that Chris, you know, one of my favorite things in the history of the NBA is when Earl Monroe came to the Knicks and sacrificed ten points to be on the team. And I felt like, I didn't feel like Chris was, I, I don't share everybody's thought, which was there was only one ball and these guys were fighting over it. I felt like Chris was occasionally trying to give James a breather, but I, like what you said, getting his, but because yeah. like for a minute there, yeah. James was okay not to. Yeah, James might be my favorite guy to watch actually. Yeah, that's fair. Do you like watching him? I, I, he's a special talent, for sure. Do you find him hard to guard? Incredibly. Impossible actually. Impossible. Impossible. Do I guard. like watch? I don't. No, I don't necessarily like watching the Houston Rockets play. I don't know many people that do. You're actually the first person I've ever met besides a Houston Rockets fan that <laughs> that watched a lot of Houston Rockets. Yeah, I just, well, I just thought it was so amazing yeah. that this guy was putting up over forty. No, it's. An, I, I just thought like I have to see this. Yeah. I loved watching uh, Pistol Pete though. Okay. Like I grew up, and and you know when you couldn't watch the games all the time, maybe there'd be five games where you could see Pete on television. The whole year. Yeah. So you would just, your friends, like my friends and I would just gather around to watch to see what the fuck Pete Maravich was going to do. Is this, and it's in, a, is this in the NBA? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, so, yeah. because, you know, even when he was in New Orleans in the NBA, they sucked, but he was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. In college, maybe there were two games televised. Sure, you would sure, read sure. about, no, dude, you would read about him. Like you would read about him in these end of year books that would come out if you were really geeky. Like I was, all right, I'm gonna let you get out of here. Um, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave on an actually intense question, um, which is, I have two questions. Sorry, the first, the not so intense one. Given Can all, we go of this back stuff, to what I was saying earlier. I just want to say yes. make one more. I want to make one more point about Please the, do. The, the, the say anything you championship want. Championship or bust. Like I think it's, I think it's inherent that if you care about winning, that your goal is to win a championship, right? But when you're making either personal decisions. So, i.e., let's say free agency or uh, a superstar requesting a trade or you're making organizational decisions, like, it can't just be about the championship. I'll never forget this. Stan, I think it was after we lost to the Pacers in the first round, the year of the lockout. And it was a really interesting year. I'll just call it that. It was a really interesting year. And Stan said something to me like, I'd rather, I'd rather be around a group of great guys and win some games than be around a bunch of assholes and win a championship. Now, obviously, we'd all want to win a championship, but you get the sentiment, right? I get it completely. You know, I get you it get completely. You want both. Like on, on, we'd been at this long enough when we started Billions, Dave and I, that we made sure we didn't hire any assholes for the, in the cast. And it was really important to us. There were actors that Dave and I would not hire because having to go to work with them every day would make it no look, fun doing this thing we dream of doing like you dream of doing what you're doing. Right. And maybe the, maybe the product would be a little bit better. But with the experience, I don't know. Yeah. And so I don't think the, that, no, in the thing, end, I don't think the, the product can be like, better that way. We can all say we want this result if you don't get that result that doesn't mean you failed and so much is of the nba rings culture now is like if you don't win a championship well it's a failure 
well, it's a failure. And I just, I, I strongly disagree with that. Even though you really want a championship. I, I, I will be, it haunts me that I did not win at Duke. <laughs> right. I want yes. to win more than anything. I do. I do. And it, you know what? There's going to be a point, I hope, that I'm still healthy. And there will be a point in my career where maybe I have to make that decision. Like, this, I'm going to go ring chase. And you do now. it. I well, want you to ring well, chase I, at the I, end. I'm going to. Go ring chase. <laughs> Don't leave without getting one. But yeah. um, So what is your mindset, knowing everything you know about teammates, knowing everything you know about pressure coming out of college? I mean – have you? I'm sure you've already given a lot of thought to being there for Zion with everything that's coming at him. Mm-hmm. How do you think about it? How do you think about showing up there? You know why you're brought in. You're brought in to shoot yeah. the ball and score. Yeah. But you're brought in there because you're a Duke guy. Yeah. You share Coach K. You share a cultural understanding. And you're a, you're a mentor. Yeah. So how do you think about it? Um. So I think about it in two ways. Number one, it's not just about Zion. I think the exciting part for me, and this was exciting for me in Philly, and that's why, you know, my two years there were as good of, you know, as any two years in my career um, in terms of my enjoyment. The exciting part is is just building those individual relationships. And so a lot of what I look at as leadership is like being an observer first. If I walk into that locker room and start talking on day one, and but by talking, I mean barking orders and acting like I know everything, which I don't, right? If I do that, then I lose credibility instantly. And so how I view it as you walk in on day one with humility, because I think humility is the, the number one quality a leader should have. You walk in with humility and you observe and you see where guys need help. And you see where you can be an asset and, and provide value for them. And so the, the, it's not just for me. It's like, oh, I, I get to build a relationship with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and, right. and Drew Holiday, who have who well, is what a ball player is that guy unbelievable, is. Oh my God. potentially all NBA guy. Totally. Like yes. he's somebody I told him this when we were talking pre free agency. Like he's somebody I've wanted to play with my whole career. Like this is so exciting. And so you look for sort of those areas with each guy where like, all right. You know, I, I hope we can develop, you know, a friendship and we can help each other in those ways. The thing with Zion that is so interesting to me is, first of all, he's, by all accounts, just an incredible human being, an incredible guy. But it's the first time in my career where I've had the opportunity to be with a guy that early. Yes. Where I'm coming in on day one. And so that, to me, is like a real opportunity to show him because you got to show to show him my habits and my discipline and my routine and then have him sort of custom make his own based off that. Right. Yes. You know, and it's not just me. It's, you know, it's Drew and it's Derek favors and it's all these guys. And so we get, we get him on day one. Like that's exciting. You get to be, I'm not coming in in year three or four where there's some habits already built that aren't great, and you're like, oh, fuck, dude. Right. You know, how are we going to turn this around? Did you call Coach K for insight? Yeah. we co- Coach and I have talked uh, like three or four times oh, in the last awesome. couple of months. So, yeah. You have. Yeah. But he, but even before, like this was back in May, 
you know, he's just, we had talked right after, about a week after we lost to the Raptors, he called me and we chatted for about 30 minutes, but I was asking him about Zion and RJ and, and he's like, he's like, I, I don't want to knock any of my other players, but as good as, as good of they are, they're, they're even better people. They're like the best people I've ever had. Oh, that's amazing. And they've had some pretty good guys. So that he's come psyched Duke. for you to be with Zion. Yeah. He's very psyched. JJ Reddick, go down to New Orleans since my team, the Knicks, can't win a championship, please go and win a championship. Yeah. And um, oh, you can find JJ on uh, no social media right now. No social media. But listen to his podcast. The podcast is called uh, the JJ Rick Podcast uh, on the Ringer. You can find me at Brian Kaufman on Twitter. You can email me the moment BK at gmail.com and yell at me for not asking him more about what it felt like to be hated and why Duke sucks. You know, I often say, JJ, that the worst thing about me, the thing that makes me and should make everybody question my character more than anything else, is that I am a Duke fan. And I think that that's, I don't think it's okay, yet I can't stop rooting for Duke. (laughs) Thanks for doing this, man. I'm so glad to have you in my life. You're a great guy. Thanks, Brian.